Hello and welcome to these didactic recordings from Project ECHO, Department of General Practice, University of Melbourne Hub. And this is the Adolescent Mental Health ECHO Network. This presentation is from Session 2 of our five-part series in Series 1 and was recorded on Wednesday the 16th of September. Hello and welcome to Project ECHO. This is the University of Melbourne Hub, uh, Department of General Practice Hub, and this is our Adolescent Mental Health ECHO Network, Wednesday series session two, and today's topic is Adverse Childhood Experiences and Trauma. So welcome and thank you for joining us today through this Project ECHO series focusing on adolescent mental health in school-aged teens. We continue our five-session cohort series beginning today with a didactic presentation examining adverse childhood experiences and trauma and its potential impact on early development and how this might uh, lend key understanding to mental health and behavioural problems and presentations in adolescence. We'll discuss the ongoing impact of risk factors upon adolescent development and we'll also progress to our second of five tips for assessment and management in the school setting and together put these principles into practice through case discussion. I won't include our housekeeping in this uh, didactic recording, but I'm now going to hand over to child and adolescent psychiatrist, Associate Professor Sandra Radovini. This is what we're going to touch on today. We're going to look at adverse childhood experiences. How do they impact on development? Back to thinking about the risk resilience framework that we talked about last time and then some things to think about with respect to assessment and management. So adverse childhood experiences sometimes referred to as ACEs. I like to think of them as in two, um, two broad groups. One are the group where we're thinking about issues of abuse, neglect, trauma, violence, um, and that a young person might have been the victim of or indeed uh, been exposed to. And then a slightly different um, group of, of adverse experiences where there has been an insecure or unstable early childhood experiences with respect to caregiving for a whole range of reasons. Um, and they're usually things that impact the parent's ability and their parenting capacity. So here we think of substance misuse, alcohol abuse. Sometimes we think of um, unstable households where there have been separations and particularly when these are acrimonious or if we're thinking about a parent in um, jail. Now, the why these things are really important, um, well, it's, of course they're really important, but in particular, we know that they're linked to a range of, of adverse outcomes in adulthood, uh, that without intervention, they are likely to impact on a young person's health and mental health into the future. Now, we introduced the circle of security and we thought about it last time when we were thinking about you know, when this is well done, what does it give a child in terms of a secure base, uh, a sense of being loved and nurtured, a sense of a place where they can flourish, uh, a, a person who is their safe harbour. But what happens when this is not the case? And what do we see in the teen who has had these experiences in their young life? And it may be, again, when we think about what's been happening in the household, what has, what has been uh, the difficulty for the parent, those same issues. Or sometimes a parent who's been in out-of-home care themselves as a young child. And, of course, you can't give what you never got yourself. 
Um, so this is a nice little diagram of helping us think about the past, but also in relationship to us and the present, to us as, as the professional caregivers for young people. What, what's the, um, the cascade, if you like, of an unavailable or an outrightly abusive parents, um, the parent who cannot provide a safe pace? What's the impact on the child? The child is left to manage all kinds of things that no child should be left to manage with on their own. And this in particular relates to identifying, understanding, regulating emotions and having nobody to help you do that. Or indeed, the person who should be helping you do that is the person who's actually the person you're afraid of and is the cause of the um, emotional upheaval. And what does a child learn? A child learns, well, there is nobody to help and I have to just manage this situation. I have to get by. Now, this is not a cognitive understanding. It's a felt, experienced understanding really relating to survival. So what we see is what later we begin to think of as maladaptive coping strategies. Now, the impact on development when we see the teenager, what is it that the teenager has absorbed from their life experience? Uh, there are things like adults are not helpful. I'm on my own. You can't rely on anybody. But also it might be it's my fault. I'm not lovable. I don't deserve good things. And when we meet young people, sometimes it's because of the emergence of formal mental health difficulties or difficulties that relate to relationships, or indeed how they engage with professionals. Academically, we do want to think about how are they tracking. And young people who have been in circumstances of abuse or neglect often are hyper-aroused, often are anxious, they are not in the best place for learning. They sometimes have missed lots of schooling. And so again, um, we often see that they're not doing so well and are at risk of disengaging from school. Emotionally, a range of problems with managing emotions, anger, behavioral or difficulties, disruptive difficulties, self-regulation stuff that happens either in the classroom or with peers, and the peers may well have begun to drift to peers that are on the fringes or indeed a deviant peer group. Back to that risk-resilient framework where we think about what's happening in the individual, what's happening in the family, the school and the broader environment. And um, one of the important things that um, to take away from this bit is these things are cumulative and it's often multiple layers of disadvantage and you know these kids. So for the young person who has had these adverse early life experiences, we often have young people with a pretty low self-esteem, young people who don't have skills around problem solving or social skills, who are on the verge 
of homelessness and who are just trying to survive. That's often where they're at. For the families, again, we hear these histories in the background of families that are unavailable as supports for these young people. Again, for a range of reasons, but may be go from being unavailable to being ongoingly abusive in different ways, whether it is frank abuse and neglect or whether we're talking about harsh or inconsistent discipline or a general lack of warmth and affection for the young person. And again, it translates into a powerful template around what to expect from adults and this maladaptive behaviours. School. Now, school is a super protective environment when it's going well. And when it's not going well, it becomes another risk factor. A school that has not been able uh, or sometimes willing to adapt to help a young person where indeed they sit on the edge of dropping out, that this um, negative evaluation of self continues. The school, uh, the voices in the school really echo the you're no good, you're hopeless, you shouldn't be here because of academic problems or peer problems or, you know, general relationships. In, within school, uh, within a school setting. And the push, it becomes a push towards a deviant peer group. Community, here it is thinking of racism, discrimination that some young people face for a whole lot of reasons. And whether it is that they have a refugee uh, background, a called background, a young person from an LGBTI, um, Q plus background and the again the lack of supports within that structure they don't belong to a church group or a sporting group or a strong connection to a culture that is protective for them tips or thoughts around assessment um, I think my biggest uh, my biggest and thing that I wish to underline is indeed that all behaviour has meaning. And this group of young people present us often with very challenging behaviours or they're sometimes seen as very difficult young people because of their challenging behaviours, whether it is the disruptive behaviours, the dysregulation, the self-harming, the risk behaviours, or even in the way that they seek help and their their missed appointments or non-compliance or poor communication can be challenging for us and need to be really seen by us that if this young person could do better, they would do better. This is, you know, as best as it is for them and also that their expectations are of a very different kind of template for relationships, a template that says, Things are not going to be helpful. People are not going to be that helpful to me. People are not going to regard me with any kind of positive regard. And um, management, here, the, here, if you like, the 
challenge for us is we have to earn our stripes with these young people. We have to think about, in particular, how do we help this young person feel welcomed? Uh, this young person have a sense of they are accepted, uh, the, a, a stance and experience for them that people are non-judgmental, non-blaming, and really the beginnings of a different kind of template for relationships with a trusted adult. Um, and an important message to these young people is to put their difficulties in the context of being understood as doing the best that you can under very difficult circumstances, again, whatever words you use, and to be thinking of how do we shore up supports for these young people and how do we keep them connected with us as professionals, with the school, how do we, how do we begin to build a safety net or strengthen the safety net around them? So that concludes our didactic presentation. We can't bring you the case, but if you'd like to join in on Project Deco, please get in touch with us at dis-training at unimelb.edu.au. This education series is brought to you by the Department of General Practice at the University of Melbourne, and we'd like to acknowledge the Victorian State Government and the Department of Education and Training for funding the DIS Clinical Training Program and this series. Thanks for joining us, and please join us at our next sessions.